Because uh, to me, looking at your face after you went down like the the the, the fourth time, I can see it you looked like you were saying, "Now wait a minute." <laughs> no. Just everybody hold it one sec now. <laughs> you know, well, you couldn't back up Let's and think say this that. thing through. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. It really, what you did, uh, uh, I seen him coming. You know, I mean, now the first thing come in my mind, you know, retaliate at him. You know, yeah. Go back to work. You know, him. yeah. Go get him because after all, you might get a good shot in it sure. on him. You know, what I mean, so therefore, that's why you went in working. You know. Well, when but he hit you again after you thought that, did anybody say wrong? <laughs> Well, nah, because you see, nah, because oh, I enjoy it. Because the first thing you want to say, you know, let's go back at it, try it one more time. It's just like, uh, you know, if it happened, you know, yeah. well, all right, it happened, but if I'm not going to give it up. You know what I mean? I'm going to go back and get that title one more time. That was heavyweight boxing legend Smokin' Joe Frazier being interviewed on the Dick Cavett Show back in 1973, two weeks after he was knocked out by George Foreman and lost his heavyweight title. They played the knockout right before he walked out to start the interview, and in addition to inflammatory questions by the hosts of the show, you heard the infamous Bill Cosby having a laugh at Joe's expense. The way that Joe responded here, and in fact in the entire interview, showed a great deal of poise and self-confidence being displayed, while at the same time being able to admit his own faults and giving all the credit in the world to Foreman for the win. One thing seemed clear, win or lose, Joe Frazier was a man who was always moving forward without a doubt in his mind. My name is Jesse Day and this is the Fight IQ Podcast where we delve into the psychology of the world's greatest combat sports athletes to extract gems of wisdom we can all use in our own lives. Fight IQ is released every Wednesday at 7pm Pacific Time at FightIQPodcast.com and wherever podcasts are found online. Do you find yourself doubting your decisions and your efforts towards success in life? Are you someone who looks for the reasons why not to do something before taking stock of the potential benefits it could bring? Today, we're examining fighters who have paid the price for doubting themselves and who refocused, adjusted their mentality, and moved forward to victory. When the pressure is as high as the stakes and you need to perform at your best, you have to believe in yourself without question. We're going to explore some mental tools that can help you erase all doubt on Fight IQ. My first fight I got was four years old. I started school at four years old after I stood up to that, to that bully that whooped me. Well, the problem is, you see, I ran home the first time. I ran all the way home and I told my older brother, man, what happened? And he said, man, he, he dragged me all the way back up, pulled this kid out of the bus line, made me fight him. And I took a whooping. And then um, I went home, my brother's like, don't worry, you're gonna survive. And I realized I was okay. You know, I mean, I was crying about it. I realized it wasn't so bad. And he goes, tomorrow we're going to do, do it again. I'm freaking out. So I go up there again, man. My older brother's waiting for me at the rock wall. Makes me call this kid out. This time, we, 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 before anything, I mean, we, we, we clashed, but the teachers broke it up before anybody got hurt. And then the very next day, my brother was on the rock wall. I had to call this kid out again. And, 
You know, this time I fought him to again to another st a standstill. And then the very next day, there's my brother. And I'd call him out. And this time the kid saw me and he says, I don't want any more trouble. You know, he goes, it's like, I don't want to fight you. And, uh, and, you know, and so I was like, and believe me, I didn't want to fight him either. You know, I was like, and my brother said, now you're never going to have a problem with that kid again. You're never going to have another problem with anybody in that school again. And he was right. Actions speak louder than words in the vast majority of situations. And most people are going to judge you not based on what you say, but what you do. That was Guy Mesger, UFC 13 lightweight tournament winner and one of the pioneers in the sport who has competed against so many other legends over the course of his career. In this clip, he's remembering all the way back to when he was four years old and a very pivotal lesson from his childhood that may have well played a big role in him having a successful career in fighting. This story of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with a bully is one I think a lot of us can relate to from our own childhood school experiences and one that carries with it a profound lesson on eliminating self-doubt. The first thing I want to highlight here is we can't run away from our struggles. Many people try this. In fact, I would go so far as to say the majority of humanity attempts to escape from hardship and challenges that crop up in life. Now, if this is your default mode, you're not set up to eliminate doubt, but rather, this desire to distance ourselves from that which causes us discomfort will only build doubt up inside our hearts until it has the capacity to paralyze us. This is how a life of quiet desperation gets built through shying away from challenges until our mindset becomes fearful and we no longer even see the opportunities all around us. Four-year-old Guy Mesger got to learn this lesson much faster than most, as he would have rather done anything other than call out the school bully who would put a beating on him, but if he hadn't have stood up for himself, he ran a much greater risk of becoming a victim throughout his school life. Bullies are only after those who won't fight back, and once you identify yourself as that kind of person, it opens the doors for other kids to start picking on you as well. The next aspect of Guy's story I want to touch on is the element of persistence, which is an absolute key attribute to erasing doubt. When you are willing to try again and again and keep pushing, keep improving, adjust your game plan, try new strategies and never give up, self-doubt will diminish each time until you start to wonder why you ever doubted yourself to begin with. This kind of tenacity to carry on is vital to build into our lives until it becomes part of the fabric of who we see ourselves as. When was the last time you gave up on something that deep down inside you believed you could accomplish if you really set your mind to it? Or maybe you didn't believe it at all, but you hoped it would work out and it just didn't, so you were done with it. The level at which we allow ourselves to be affected by feelings of disappointment plays a huge role in determining how we will react to failure and how long it takes us to give up on something. Was this what made you give up that crushing feeling when it didn't go your way, or were there other reasons? The point of this is not to make you feel bad, but rather to have you honestly examine your reasons so you can identify them, and the next time around, you can see them for what they are. Knowing the enemy is at least half of the battle towards defeating him. On the other hand, sometimes there are very real and correct reasons for giving up on a goal, so we have to remain realistic. If you're in your 40s and want to start playing professional sports, for example, unless you have a genetic gift beyond 99% of humanity, that dream will just never happen, and your doubt is actually justified. 
There's a bunch of other examples I could rattle off, but you get the idea. We have to temper our goals with the reality of our situation. But I would say most goals and most dreams are absolutely achievable if we apply persistence. Of course, in Mesger's story, he never would have been persistent if he didn't have an ally in his older brother who was there to push him and believe in him when he couldn't believe in himself. While I don't think it's essential to have someone in your corner, I do think it's a massive help, and I can't even begin to count the amount of times I've heard fighters attribute their success to a coach, training partner, family member, or significant other who believed in them when no one else would. Now this all comes down to surrounding yourself with the right people, having friends around you who are positive-minded and want to see you succeed. It's all reciprocity. Once you start developing the mindset of helping others and seek to inspire or motivate others, you will naturally attract like-minded individuals who will want to play a role in your story. Believe in someone else, support their struggle, and soon you will start to believe in yourself as well. When you were doubting yourself that night for that fight, you walked in and you, you knew you were gonna lose, didn't you? I did, I did. Uh, I had just gotten out of the Marine Corps. I had been training with a group of Marines that weren't very skilled, none of us were, but we believed in each other. It was such a positive environment that I, I won all my fights with those guys. I moved to Atlanta, got out of the Marine Corps, started a new job, and oh, by the way, you have a title fight in six weeks. And bought my first home all in that period of time, was training at three different gyms, and at all three of those gyms, all my trainers kept telling me was, hey, you know, you need to work on this, you need to work on this, you need to work on that, this is a hole, this is a gap, this is a weakness. All of that negativity was just building up inside me, making me believe that I was not gonna win that fight. Knowing that Steve was more skilled in every single area than me, I caught him by surprise in the first fight, and uh, I realized how much the mental psyche plays on a fight. Had I gone in there like I normally would have, I may have beat him that night, who knows? And just stormed through everything he had and been myself. Instead, I went in there trying to play some kind of game and be somebody I wasn't full of doubt, and, and I got my butt kicked. And uh, you know, it's a lesson for anybody in life. If you're not believing in yourself, if you're not confident in what you're doing, you need to reset, reevaluate. Don't go in and perform with that mindset. Be strong enough to tell somebody, because I wasn't. I didn't want anybody to see that weakness in me or tell anybody I had any doubts. And I paid a price for it. Former UFC middleweight contender and ex-Marine Brian Stan breaks down the doubt that crept into his mind leading up to his second fight with Steve Cantwell at WEC 35 in 2008. In their first fight, Stan won by TKO, so I find it interesting that despite the proof that he could not only beat this man, but put him away, Stan still allowed self-doubt to paralyze him and was himself TKO'd by Cantwell in the second contest. Stan mentions a key point from the last segment. In his early career, he was surrounded by positive-minded training partners who all pushed each other to succeed and perform at their best. This kind of tight team can synergize and combine their mindsets and skill sets together to enhance the whole crew and thus improve the chances of winning fights individually. Now, the downside to this team was that, according to Brian, they lacked the elite-level skills that were needed to rise to the top of the sport. I think this is a very real concern, and the choice to move training camps at that point in Stan's career was, I think, correct. The problem came when instead of choosing one dedicated gym with one head coach who truly connected with him, Brian ended up training at three different gyms with different coaches who were all pointing out different areas he needed to improve upon. 
I don't know the circumstances surrounding this decision. It could be that he had to bounce around to different gyms to make the transition work. But ultimately, it became a situation of too many cooks in the kitchen. And with so many different instructions, Stan wasn't certain of where to put his focus. When we take actions we aren't certain about, the efforts we put in will naturally be weakened and half-hearted, which will fuel our self-doubt and negatively impact our performance. To avoid the mistake of too much input from too many people, I would recommend keeping your circles small and focusing on one thing at a time. We all have a ton of flaws and areas that could use improvement, but if we try to focus on them all at once, it can be like a house of cards that collapses under the slightest pressure. The most empowering thing to do is choose one area, the one that is causing you the most problems, and work on that until it improves to a level you're satisfied with. By improving on that one thing, it will provide a boost of self-confidence that will make you realize you can now tackle something else and improve that as well. Then it's on to the next, and this all sounds really awesome, but I do want to caution against moving too quickly. When it comes to self-improvement, there's no hurry, because the time you put into bettering yourself will pay off tenfold in the world around you. All these coaches Brian was working with had the best intentions and were pointing out legitimate issues he needed to work on, but they were likely not in communication with each other, so this led to conflicting and potentially misguided advice. Far more dangerous than this situation is taking advice from people who think they have your best interest at heart, but who themselves aren't qualified to give that advice. If you want advice about becoming a better fighter, you don't listen to someone who never fought a day in their lives or who doesn't understand combat sports. If you want to build a business, you don't take advice from someone who hasn't been there and experienced the hardships of that endeavor, and so you need to be very careful whom you listen to when it comes to advice for accomplishing your goals. On the other hand, you don't want to be too stringent about whom you accept advice from either because we can learn from almost anyone in the right context. For example, almost any other competitive athlete will have useful information for a fighter, whether it's training tips to improve endurance or mental tips to deal with the pressures of competition. Conversely, you may have someone who has never built their own successful business, but has worked for someone who did, and so was able to learn and can now share that knowledge. Some people will also give advice where 90% is useless, but actually 10% of it is extremely useful. So I would say never discount anyone completely, but develop the skill of being able to recognize useful information from information you can disregard. The final point from that clip I want to bring up is to never enter into a situation where you need to perform filled with doubt. If you don't have a choice and you find yourself in that situation, try to mitigate the doubt inside you as much as possible with positive affirmations and just tell yourself that you're ready and you're going to crush it. This is more like a band-aid than an actual cure, but it may provide a boost when there's no alternative but to step up to the plate and take a swing. When did it go from just having fun to, to that, you know, that fear before a fight or after a fight? Well, obviously it was gradual, but you start, you know, seeing your face on the billboards and such, you start thinking, man, geez, I owe it to myself. I owe it to, you know, whoever gave me all the, you know, to the higher power that gave me what he gave me, you know, the story in the Bible about the 10 talents given to the servants, you know, you owe, you owe it to, to, to the higher power that gave you these talents to use them to the fullest of your ability. And uh, then it, be, you know, it became a pressure thing for me. And so now what, why do you think that the pressure is off and why do you think that you've changed? Well, there's pressure not off, but it's just fun. You just got to, 
say, yeah, it's stressful. It's, you know, there's a lot of anxiety involved with it. It's an extraordinary thing you're doing. But uh, it's also a fun thing, you know. If you just let it happen, it will be fun, you know. It's it's uh, something you've always enjoyed, you know. And, and the more pressure, the more money, the more whatever comes with it, the uh, more you forget that, that you do this because it's fun and you love doing it and you love being out there in front of the people. When we do something for long enough, even if it is our greatest passion in life, it can start to feel like work. And that's when rediscovering why we fell in love with it in the first place can be so powerful. That was former UFC light heavyweight champion and one of the men who put the sport of MMA on the map, Forrest Griffin, as he discussed a shift back to loving what he does after a period of being driven by fear and insecurity. This interview was before his second fight with Tito Ortiz and following his absolute destruction at the hands of Anderson Silva in his last fight, a highlight reel filled beatdown that made Griffin look like he didn't even belong in the cage and the type of beating that many fighters would never recover from emotionally. What are the reasons that we lose our passion or fail to see the joy in the things we set out to do? For Forrest, he felt burdened by the desire to live up to expectations and make the most of his fighting talents. He felt it was a duty and an obligation to do his absolute best to win fights, and while that sort of mentality can provide a short-term motivational boost, over the long run the pressure will build up until it becomes unmanageable, and you're no longer fighting because it's what you love to do, but you're fighting because it's what you have to do. There's a huge difference between the two, and once your dreams become your obligations, the love will naturally dissipate and create a weight that you now carry around with you. Maybe you fear letting down the people around you, those who support you and look up to you to set an example. But you know what? The most important quality to being a role model to others and a good human being is not to always perform at 100% and to never show weakness, but rather it is vulnerability that creates a real human connection and draws others to you in a genuine way. Forrest showed a great deal of vulnerability in admitting he was fighting from the wrong place and needed to reconnect with the joy of competing that got him into the sport in the first place. Vulnerability is another tool that can help you eliminate doubt because you're not hiding that doubt. And as we know from Brian Stan's story, hiding self-doubt from others can be fatal. By opening up and showing you have issues you need to work through, the only people who will laugh at you, criticize you, or mock you for it are people you do not want in your life to begin with. The truth is everyone is struggling, and usually those who refuse to acknowledge their own weakness and their own pain are those who struggle the most in private. Every day we're faced with new challenges both from within ourselves and in our outside environment. And to deny this or pretend it doesn't exist will fuel our doubt and shatter our confidence. Show vulnerability and others will find it that much easier to relate to you. Get out there and have fun doing what you do. That's another point we can take away from what Forrest said. In episode 11 of this podcast, Confidence is King, MMA pioneer Dan Severn, who, fun fact, defeated Forrest in Forrest's professional debut, Severn said he used to throw bizarre one-liners to referee John McCarthy before fights just to mess with him, to have some fun with it. McCarthy was shocked that a man could be so jovial right before a no-holds-barred contest, and although it is an extreme example, it underlines the need to feel a sense of enjoyment from the things you strive for, even if they are extremely serious matters. So ask yourself, how can you have fun with the things that lead you towards your goals? How can you change your mindset to enjoy the process as much as the results.
Well, we can never fully erase doubt. Finding joy in what you do can certainly mitigate it. And that brings me to my final point. We can't actually erase all doubt, as the title of this episode suggests. When we overcome one obstacle and gain confidence in that situation, another obstacle will emerge that will ignite new doubts within us. And so it is a daily struggle to combat and eliminate doubt. This is by no means a bad thing. It just means we always have new challenges to face that, if managed correctly, will strengthen our resolve as we move forward through life. With that in mind, I'd like to leave you with a quote from poet and playwright William Shakespeare. Our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. Thank you very much for joining me today. My name is Jesse Day. This is Fight IQ. Fight IQ drops every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Pacific time at fightiqpodcast.com and pretty much every single other podcast platform. Google Podcasts, Apple, iTunes, Spotify. You can think of it. We are on it. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at info at fightiqpodcast.com or message me and please do follow me on Instagram at Day. That's at J-E-S-S-E-B-D-A-Y. I post a lot of content, interesting interview clips from combat sports legends and a lot of information in general about the martial arts around the world. If you really love this show, please do consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash fightiqpodcast where your contribution allows you to have a direct impact on the topics I choose for this show. Thank you for joining me and I'll see you guys next time on Fight IQ.